episode 23 of the transport you should start going to church the transport by alex ames you are listening to the transport a sci-fi military action thriller audiobook podcast written and performed by Alex Ames. The music throughout the podcast is the song The Last True Boss by Kumiku, available on the freemusicarchive.org. Chapter 94 Linny. Yikes! was Linny's single word thought as she stared at the bus slam into the scaffolding, tearing away the complete middle section, pulling it along, a metal crunching sound everywhere, arm thick tubes folding like straws of hay, an inferno, a metallic wave louder than all the ongoing shooting. Colin and Jay were in the process moving up the heavily loaded lab pushcart with the next-to-last pot batch to the upper platform of the scaffolding ramp that led into the loading hatch. Jay pulled and Colin pushed from behind. The shooting started when they were still about ten yards out. The lady responsible for the loading and proper storing procedure, Janet, screamed from above to push faster, something about a bus aiming at them. Colin and Jay couldn't see what was happening due to the canopy blinds, but they frantically increased their pushing and pulling, screaming from exertion. Janet started to shoot at something unseen through a gap in the covers. Linny shouting from below too. A loud bang indicated an exploding grenade. Both men arrived at the top as the bus hit the scaffolding and all hell broke loose. Janet grabbed the pushcart's front handle, pulling alongside Jay, and Colin did a desperate jump forward, not letting go. Janet and Jay tumbled and fell into the ship's loading dock, the cart rolling into the safety of the ship from pure momentum just as the bottom was pulled away from under it. Colin wasn't that lucky. The scaffolding exploded from the boss's force, catapulting parts of the ramp upwards and sideways, some even into the ship. Something hit Colin's legs at full force while he still hung on to the pushcart. Colin had to let go, fell one step away from safety. The collapse dragged him backwards as the bus pulled most of the remaining scaffolding behind it. Colin fell thirty feet into the mangling mass of grinding metal, breaking most of his bones in multiple impacts, with metal tubes spiking his body in various places, tearing his flesh and bones apart like a meat grinder. Then he watched Colin die with morbid fascination, thought about her launcher and how much she wanted to fire a javelin rocket after the bus. But most of her weapons were now lost somewhere in the metal scaffolding mass. She felt anger rising. My beautiful toys. Chapter 95 The Sclone's Community The Sclone, that used to be CEO Calling, 
eventually had become the supreme commander again, his old self, his old role. It had taken a few hours after his reconversion and after being connected to his ship again. It felt like home, also familiar, despite over 60 years of absence. A human saying crossed his mind, like riding a bicycle, a last shadow memory of Carling, as the supreme commander had never ridden a bicycle in his life, no legs, no arms, no head, few muscles. Smitty updated the ever-growing crew of the ship constantly through the text converter console about new developments from the outside world as they came in. The remaining life pod count was the most important piece of information as it decided their getaway time. But the actions of the opposition were also reported, although some of it appeared very confusing. It was unclear to the community what exactly happened in the building and outside, tons of question pouring in through the text converter, overloading the interface as there was only a half-informed smithy on the other side of the console. Only one thing became clear. The opposition was much stronger than expected. The open loading hatch posed the risk of a full frontal external attack, but as long as the loading continued, the hatch couldn't be closed, exposing their single most vulnerable spot. Every minute, more and more sclones got connected to the community of the ship, and a new spirit of hope and determination slowly replaced the constantly bickering depression and frustration that had dominated the vegetating lab-bound minds. They were the crew of a sclone spaceship, and everyone exuded pride. For many, the original spirit of adventure returned, the reason why they had taken the mission in the first place so many decades ago. Each newly connected sclone mind dove into the various designated functional units and brought them back to life, making the ship an operational entity once again. More and more status reports started to roll in, life support, navigation, controls, tactics, defense. With all the chaos and violence outside, the community inside was working in familiar settings. Their ship appeared to be in pristine condition, all checks so far perfect. The outside sensors transmitted the events as they occurred. The latest was the new shooting and the destruction of the ramp by the school bus. The discussion started with tactics, an exchange not measured in minutes or seconds, but in milliseconds, as the sclone brains were superior to any species in the universe. We might need to exclude the smart hands from reconversion in order to lift off quicker. Smart hands was lingo-speak for the converts, who still resided within their human hosts outside of the ship. The Supreme Commander requested an explanation. The extraction of our team from the human hosts take two minutes apiece. For six hosts, that will take almost 12 minutes in total, more with a controlled retreat. The opposition is much stronger than anticipated. Closing the hatch should be our new number one priority with most of the parts on board. What are you suggesting? We leave the guard team on the roof and in the building temporarily behind and get moving out of this spot. We are too exposed, especially when the blanket will cease to work before our own liftoff. But the guard team has performed admirably, the commander said. Most decisions developed mostly on community agreement, but host-based issues on third-party planets 
were always at the discretion of the Supreme Commander. I will not simply let them die on this planet. One of the elders threw in. We can't let them get on board and they stay within their host for the takeoff, just until we are clear of this madhouse. Then we do the conversions while flying. Life support came back immediately. Negative. We have no means to control the g-force of our maneuvers. The human host physique is most basic and will receive deadly internal and external injuries after higher g's. Any passenger must be within a pot during flight. We'll pick up the left-behinds after they get away from the compound. Defense brought another idea to the table. We use veracity crossing as the extraction point. For us an easy maneuver, for them an attainable location in the aftermath and confusion of our takeoff. That might work, Tactics agreed. After takeoff all eyes will be on our ship for a while. Might give Herbert and his team a chance to get out of town or to the meeting point. The Supreme Commander appreciated that his team had been able to come to a successful conclusion of the issue. Navigation, give us a plot for escape, re-entry, pick-up point and another liftoff. Navigation confirmed. So plotted. Defense brought up another consequence. We might be forced to leave the blanket in the hands of the humans. Moving it back into the ship will take too long and leaves us uncovered for a critical time frame. The Americans might activate one of their larger weapons to nuke us at takeoff or later pickup. Will our ship withstand a human nuclear device? The Supreme Commander asked. The community was silent for a moment, which already gave the commander his answer. Then defense, tactics and engineering responded. No data available, which really meant we don't know and we don't want to find out. So be it. The Supreme Commander decided. The blanket stays behind. Compliance immediately threw in their descent. According to regulations, we are not allowed to leave anything superior on the abandoned planet. The risk is too high that the Earthlings will be able to re-engineer the technology. If not today, maybe in a few decades or centuries. Thank you, the Supreme Commander gave back. Noted. Decision stands. Inform Smitty of the plan and have him push it to the ground team. Chapter 96 Sina Sina and her old friend Ivan Gorsuch stared eye to eye for a moment. Either Gorsuch was surprised to be confronted by Sina or the sclone inside him needed to figure out how much his opponent knew about hand-to-hand -hand combat. One way or the other, his hesitation was Sina's gain. She made up her mind and stepped forward, grabbed the pistol at the slider, trapping Gorsuch's finger and blocking it from firing. The momentum let her turn while taking a last step forward. She slammed into Ivan, threw her head forward, rammed it towards his face. A futile attempt, Ivan was one head bigger than her and simply had to turn his head to avoid damage. But Ivan wasn't a street fighter either. He had been Mr. Mediator of Sina's team. He understood the basics just to make it through occasional brawls, relying on his size and appearance more than on strength or technique, but never had been in real life or death combat hand-to-hand -hand fight. Against Sina, he didn't set his priorities right. His first idea to kick his opponent into the balls failed. No balls. 
His useless kick into Cena's groin from behind brought his head down a few inches, so Cena's headbutt reached, her head slamming into his surprised face, this time connecting fully, leaving stars dangling in front of his eyes. Urgently, he used all his strength to twist and pull at his pistol, the only way to end this fight quickly and to his favor. Cena knew basic judo, which relied a lot on destroying the balance of the opponent. She pushed Ivan's body weight onto his left leg, making another half turn, which brought her into the position to kick away the leg from under him with her right. Gorsuch fell. Cena, still holding on desperately to the pistol slider, was being pulled behind him, so she had to let go. She jumped back, gaining precious distance to regroup while Ivan slammed to the ground, almost falling into the gap between the power unit and the control unit, dropping the pistol as he needed both hands to stabilize himself. Cena ripped out her own gun in a new personal best time, pointed it at him. Ivan, don't move or I will shoot. You wouldn't, Sarge. It's me, good old Ivan. Ivan is dead. You and I know it, Cena replied, her head reeling. This was Ivan Gorsuch, the huge white kid with a soul as big as his grandmother's mother Russia. Her team's level head, the oldest and most seasoned guy of her team. The guy who basically had raised Cena to sergeant without ever rising through ranks himself. Gorsuch's face registered neither shock nor regret. He stood up slowly, lifted his hands, giving her a melancholic smile. I'll go now. I need to leave. We are almost done with loading anyway. Reconversion will start soon. Then I am my old self again, Sina said. Ivan, I can't let you leave. You can't kill me, Sarge. Not after the kid. Not another one on your watch. By your fault. By your hand. And not me, anyway. Remember Tyrell. They stared at each other. Gorsuch was right. She was not able to shoot. Tyrell. Poor Tyrell, the kid who had turned 19 a week before the accident. Her hands began to shake. Gorsuch gave her a small nod, turned and walked down the length of the MNTU towards the object. She closed her eyes to steady her nerves and then shot between his feet, the ricochet pinging from the steel into the night. I mean it. I will not let you go, Ivan. Sina? Sina? Charles shouted over from the bus. Some other shots were exchanged from the other side of the MMTU, the second rear guard interacting with someone else, probably Mac or the remaining Green Beret. Behind the power generator, she called over her shoulder. Stupid girl. A distraction made to exploit. Like a flash, Ivan had reversed his course and ran at Sina from ten yards out. He continued to look at her face, expressionless, like a killer. He knew that the ghost of the kid saved him from Sina's gun. And Sina had no clue what to do. Her pistols still stretched out in front of her, aimed at her old friend coming at her, not her friend anymore, with his innocent face, no trace of deceit, but with deadly intent. Sina saw the kid in his last moments again, the endless loop like so many times before throughout the last year. His cries for help as his lower body was slowly crunched by the MMTU's giant wheel, herself frozen in shock, her fear of the atomic reactor, the wheels already past point zero when nothing could be done, the shouts of her team urging her to stop. The voice of a CO in her ear, oblivious of the horror unfolding, not to stop at all costs, 
all costs at the cost of the kid. And she saw Gorsuch's smile as he had pushed the control stick forward to set the object into motion just yesterday, an eternity away. The huge, scary black spaceship under its white tarp behind them, less than 24 hours ago, her first glance at the slimy green thing now inside of Gorsuch, the kid's teary face begging God to stop, Mac shouting at her, Cena screamed orders to keep moving, moving, moving. Someone still pushed the control stick forward, mangling Tyrell's body. A madhouse situation, everyone shouting. The silence, the eternal silence afterwards, the transport rolling on, and the kid's eyes still open. She couldn't. Gorsuch slammed into her, his broad shoulder cut into her upper body, his hands immediately on Cena's weapon, both falling and the defense futile. Ivan had almost hundred pounds on her. She had no answer to his body mass on top of her. With a brutal twist on her pistol, Ivan reversed the previous situation. But now, with brutal efficiency, Cena felt her guard-trapped index finger break. The pain blinding her, she screamed and Ivan ripped the gun completely from her hands with a grunt. And then she was literally looking up into her own barrel. Saw Gorsuch's index finger knuckle turn white, the concentration on his face pulling. The kid looking over his shoulder, the fear in his pleading eyes. Sinas crouching on the roof of her grandma's house during Storm Katrina. Sina, sitting on a Thanksgiving dinner table in Ivan's mother's house, listening to an alien Russian Orthodox prayer. The bang of Gorsuch's gun was the loudest sound she had ever heard in her life. Hi, Alex Ames here. Sorry for the little interruption, this story will continue momentarily. If you like a good thriller, check out my 2020 novel COVID Trouble. COVID Trouble is a novel in my ongoing troubleshooter series, featuring the corporate troubleshooter Paul Trouble. COVID Trouble takes place in Paris, France after the first lockdown of 2020, just when life seems to normalize again during the worldwide life-threatening pandemic and France is getting ready for some well-earned summer vacations. Someone is poisoning supermarkets with the virus. Is it a lunatic? Is it a terrorist act? Paul Trouble will find out. A lot of bullets will fly. There are car chases, gunfights, rooms full of dead people, deadly fire traps, and many, many, many ways to die. COVID Trouble is available as ebook at most online retailers and as paperback at Amazon and some other retailers. Check it out, it's a ride. It's inspired by the current events of that crazy, crazy year 2020. COVID Trouble is the name, Alex Ames, the author. That being said, buy the book. And now, let's jump back into the transport. Chapter 97 Leo Herbert's Don't! echoed through the basement, and to everyone's amazement, Leo stopped. Breathlessly, all three held still. Herbert, 
had his hands up as if to protect his face from the explosion, Jay frozen with his hands still on the pushcart, and Leo with his container hands in midair. Herbert locked eyes with Leo. Good decision, Leo, he whispered. He made a go-go motion at Jay, who took a first timid step. When the world did not end, Jay moved faster, pushed the cart around the corner, and his running steps faded towards the freight elevator. The sliding doors rattled shut in the distance a moment later. The last batch was on its way towards home. Now it was only Herbert left, his hands still held up, empty palms towards Leo. I'll go now, too. Leo stood immovable, sweat and tears rolling over his face, his shirt wet. I'll go now. Herbert stepped backwards ever so slowly, eyes fixated on Leo. He hit the door frame with his back, turned, gave Leo a last look, then ran away. Leo stood rooted to the spot for a minute longer, the explosive in his hand. Now, that worked fine, honey, he whispered to his dead girlfriend. Leopold Parker, con man, sneaky bastard. The lab, bereft of the alien inhabitants, no more life support systems engaged, was now completely silent. With ultra-careful movements, he placed the two bombs into the sink. Hey, Eva, you forgot to tell me how to disarm this shit, called over and sobbed once more. What a nightmare day. If in doubt, rinse with water. He opened the water tap fully, unscrewed the lid and very carefully poured the fluids, keeping the latex finger trigger in the container for a moment longer until he was sure that no explosive fluid was left. He rinsed the trigger finger too and put them into the second sink. He repeated the procedure with every container he'd retrieved from the life pods in the minutes leading up to the deadly Herbert Eva confrontation. The Leo Parker Expert One-Man Alien Bomb Disposal Squad, O-100, No Suicide Bomber Material. Jesus, Leo, you should start going to church. Leo walked back to the front lab room where Eva still lay. He leaned against the opposite wall and slid to the ground, stretched his legs and stared to his artificial dead girlfriend. Eva's body lay still on the spot where she had fallen near the dead finance manager of Legion Analytics. Side by side, friend and foe, robot and half-human, half-slug. I could kill for a drink, Leo said into the empty room, only to hear something. Nothing fancy, a nice cold beer would do, from tap. Sam Adams? The ramp is toast, you have to love it. Cena, Charles, the others, were they still alive or fighting this crazy war? These clones seem to have more lives than a fucking cat. And where was the rest of the army? Damn it, I really would like to see my tax dollars at work for once. That's me, he spoke aloud to himself. Morning an executed sexy killer robot in the basement of my former workplace that hosted aliens. Leo stood up and walked to the door, listened again. Nothing, all quiet. But still, there could be guards around. Someone quiet and patient, ready to kill Leo the moment he left the room. But where would he go? It was a war zone out there, and the love of his life lay dead here anyway. He wouldn't leave her. Once the army got here, Eva would be whisked away into some super-secret lab, never to be seen again. 
He was sure of that. Maybe I should carry her away from it all. Put her in a car and drive away. Build her a shrine. Something befitting her beauty. You must secure the lab. A whisper came from the other side of the room. Leo almost jumped out of his skin and grabbed his gun. Like in a zombie apocalypse where the dead awakened, Eva moved her head and stared at Leo. Leo shrieked like a little girl. Chapter 98 Herbert Herbert and Jay arrived with the last batch of pods in the lobby. Linny fired like crazy into the early morning darkness, screaming obscenities. He assessed in horror the damaged scaffolding. We've been hit, she panted while reloading. They used the bus, no ramp, shit, shit. We take the rope from the canopy fixation and haul up four pods at once, Herbert decided immediately. Jay, take the ladder we used to erect the ramp. Then we throw up the rope. Jay nodded and immediately ducked into the remains of the ramp. Linny, save your ammunition. You will need to make sure that the opposition has no shot at us while we hoist up the last pots. I will kill them all, she screamed at him, red face spittle flying everywhere. Calm down, Linny, calm down, almost there. Herbert hurried to the reception desk of the atrium where he had placed a small box. He unpacked a signal gun, loaded it and walked to a spot where the glass wall was shattered. He fired the red rocket into the air, a whoosh, and a slowly descending burning red light in the first grey of the early morning. The signal for the roof team to lift the blanket and to call home all converts. Call them home for reconversion, starting the final stage before takeoff. Chapter 99 Leo He slid towards her. Eva! 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 Held her hand like an idiot. You are alive. I remember my name. Thank you. So do you. And I'm definitely not alive, she said in a clear voice. To me, you are. I, but I agree. You are a uh, what? Uh, operational? Back on track? My good old robo-girlfriend from outer space? A little rusty, but fine. Have a killer headache? He laughed and cried and hugged her, trying to crush his girl. Man, I was so miserable. Alone. I don't want to be alone. I need you. I'll love you. Forever. Eva looked at him, still lying motionless in Leo's arms, like a giant doll. Then she slowly moved her limbs, one by one, flexing fingers, arm, wiggling her shoes, legs. I get it. You're running some sort of diagnostics, right? Are you running on a backup computer? She slowly got on her knees, then stood up, pulling Leo up with her. Diagnostics, correct. Backup computer, incorrect. But that Herbert killed you. He blew your brains out, Leo said, pointing at the entry hole, clearly visible under Eva's scalp. We'll need to get you some uh, cosmetic surgery uh, repair at a later point. Eva scanned the room. I agree that it is an interesting evolutionary concept of your planet's species to position the brain close to the most important sensory input organs. 
But why on earth should I have my control unit in an area that is super exposed to everything from low-hanging beams up to revolutionary guillotines? But you were dead, for a while, I mean. Leo couldn't take his eyes from a beautiful face that was talking to him, to him. The headshot was not nothing. My safety sensors shut me down to analyze and process the effects of the damage, and I thought it was safe to play opossum for a while. Your head is empty then? Leo's nerdy self became curious about the anatomy of his new girlfriend. Leo, my processing powers are strong enough to understand that this question has a double meaning. My head is not empty. There are some decentralized processing units and mechatronics. Leo threw his hands around her and kissed her all over. You are your old self again. We have a chance. He stepped back. Damn it, if they are not gone already. Where are the clones? She checked the next room. Gone. Herbert and Jay took the last batch about ten minutes ago. Why didn't Herbert find the explosives? I saw you loading the pots. Eva almost sounded offended. Something got past her sensors. Old Leo is full of tricks too, my dear. He tried his best W.C. Fields impersonation. Rest assured that the explosives found their way into the ship. Any explosives we can reuse as rockets or artillery? I just destroyed the last container. I was afraid that the primer would go off. No time to mix a new batch. She walked through the door into the room that had hosted the Sclone community. Nothing left anymore. All pots gone. She opened the next door too, a room full of weapon boxes, most of them open, spilling out the contents like a Lego box on Christmas morning. Looky, looky, what do we have here? Leo stood behind her and stared at the collection of weaponry, ready to grab whatever he fancied. He whistled. Wow, they hoarded more than they could use. I want something mean. Eva eyed the content and picked up a short-barreled machine pistol. And here we have the favorite weapon of choice of your alien friends, the Mac 10 Solid performance, good for you. You'll need to carry lots of ammunition, though. This machine pistol spits out 900 rounds per minute, one uncontrolled finger and your magazine is empty in about two seconds on fully automatic. She racked back the slide, verified that the MP was not loaded and clicked the trigger. On the other hand, 30 rounds are inside your enemy within two seconds. She put in a full magazine, racked the slide again. Good to go, don't ever point it at me. She held the gun sideway and pointed at its features. Safety on. Move up for single shot, triple shot, fully automatic. Use both hands to stabilize or you might shoot yourself in the face with it. Leo took it and slung the Mac-10 over his shoulder and admired the black metal. My finger is the most uncontrolled weapon in the universe right now. Yeah, you're my baby. He kissed the muzzle. You humans shift your love from one machine to another in a blink. I thought I was your love, Eva rummaged in the next box. Leo laughed. Machine jealousy, I like it. Wait until you see me caressing my coffee maker. You have a sensual relationship with your coffee maker? She looked up at him. That was a joke, I know. I'm pulling your leg. She lifted up another weapon. Riot shotguns, Mossberg 500, even better for someone inexperienced and volatile as you. 
She broke open the pack of ammunition and quickly fed six rounds into the feeder and handed it over too. He slung the mag to his back and checked the shotgun. To load you... Leo ratched back the loader and nodded. I know, I've seen a lot of guy movies for guys who love movies. Who would have thought? The safety is on top. Use your right thumb to switch it to red. That's it. I'm starting to feel invincible. Back to safety, please. These are able weapons. Remember, you remain totally and utterly unprotected. You're made of carbon-based flesh and bones. That might get you killed. What will you carry? Eva's eyes roamed the weaponry and rested on the longish box on the side. She opened it. Something equalizing. This is it for this week's edition of The Transport, the sci-fi action thriller written and performed by Alex Ames. If you liked what you just heard, leave a comment in whatever platform you downloaded or listened to the podcast. If there are stars, star me, help me spread the good. And again, my shameless self-promoting plug, if you liked it so far and can't bear the suspense, buy the book. If you can bear the suspense, buy the book. And that's it. For real. Wherever you are, whoever you are, thank you. Take care. I hear you next time. This is Alex Ames. This was The Transport. Over and out.